0: This is episode number 74, The Danger of Being an Excitement Junkie with Brad Solberg. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help give you the tools to be better every day.
1: I think resting is just the ability to let go of the need to make progress in anything. Some examples. So listening to music I think is a good example. I think meditation is the best example and the gold standard if that's something that listeners have an interest in. Time in nature and playing with a pet, playing with the young kid at home is often a wonderful time to lose myself.
0: What's up guys and gals? I hope your week has been going really well and you've been having a nice time this fall. If you're new to my show, my name is Sonia Looney and I am a professional ultra endurance mountain biker a podcaster, a writer and an entrepreneur. And I'm so thankful that you're here and that you're listening to this show. This show has been going on for almost a year and a half now. And it's been really amazing to connect with such brilliant people that have so many great life tips and cool stories to tell. And if you've been listening to lots of these episodes, thank you so much and welcome back. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. That way each week you get a notification sent to your phone so you know when there's a new episode. And also, if you want to help support my work, you can take a screenshot of the show on your phone and just share it on your social media accounts. That's the best way to help grow the podcast, and I would really appreciate your support. We also have a Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash the Sonia Looney Show if you'd like to contribute financially to growing the show as well. For those of you who are already doing that, a big, big thank you. That makes such a difference. And I just am so thankful. The topic of this week's show is one that's very near and sadly dear to my heart. It's about burnout and rest. And a lot of times we think that we're resting or we think we're not burnt out or we think we're not trying to do too much. But those feelings of overwhelm and exhaustion and just feeling like your life is chaos is really familiar to all of us. In fact, office workers report a burnout rate of 40% in the United States and Canada, and physicians' burnout rates are closer to 50%. Burnout is not only attributed to the workplace. Keeping up with the Joneses and trying to be a balanced human who works more than full time, exercises regularly, eats healthy, sleeps eight hours a night, has a family, and makes time for friends can seem overwhelming, and it can seem like other people are doing it perfectly, but really, most people are just at their limit. In a society that champions the hustle and reveres people who seem to be doing it all, it's hard to feel a sense of ease when we aren't doing something productive. So how do we actually rest whenever we feel this way? I was excited to dig into this conversation with burnout expert, previous podcast guest, author and friend Brad Stolberg, because burnout is a regular part of the conversation amongst my peers and family. We wanted to get to the bottom of why we feel pressure to push ourselves so hard, how to actually define rest, why obsessive passion can be detrimental, and how to live more easeful lives. Brad is the co-author of one of my favorite books, Peak Performance. It's specifically about avoiding burnout and elevating your game. Listen on our last episode that we recorded, and I'll link that up in the show notes, and definitely get this book. I've actually read it a couple of times. If you're not already familiar with Brad Stolberg's writing on human performance in his regular column in Outside Magazine, or in publications like the New York Times, Thrive, Sports Illustrated, and more, you're missing out. He's my favorite person to follow on Twitter because he always has insightful and actionable information. My favorite takeaway from today's episode was to define rest as the act of doing an activity without needing to progress. And one thing I wanted to tell you guys about right before we dive into this episode is that I have a sock brand, Moxie and Grit, and we just released for pre-order three winter and cool weather cycling socks. So they're really funny. There's one that has a Sasquatch that says Sexy Beast. There's one with a rhinoceros that says Chubby Unicorn. And then there's a very black and white, awesome edition of do Up Big shit. So these are all a warmer cycling socks. So go to moxyandgrit.com, and these are for pre-order only until October 31st. They will ship out the first week of December and these make really awesome Christmas gifts. So make sure that you get them while they're available. Go to moxyandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T.com to get the winter cycling socks and to pre-order them so that you make sure you get them. Thanks. All right. Well, let's get into it. Here is Brad Stilberg, and he's going to blow your mind. Brad, welcome back to the show.
1: It's great to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: I remember last time we chatted, I just wanted to talk all day long with you just because you do so many different things and you write such insightful articles for outside. And is it New York or is it New York Magazine?
1: New York Magazine.
0: Yeah, and like your peak performance newsletter is also amazing, so thanks so much.
1: Yeah, thanks. As you know, I'm a big fan of your work, so it's great to talk to you again, too.
0: Yeah, it was funny. I actually sent you a message saying like, oh, I really want to talk about burnout. And you're like, talk to me, like we got this. So the reason why I wanted to talk about burnout is number one, myself, like I've been super burned out this year, but a lot of my listeners have been emailing me and my friends just telling me how burnt out they are this year and how they're just not enjoying things anymore. So I really wanted to uncrack this, this walnut of burnout and really address number one, like how we realize we're approaching burnout and number two, like how do we fix it once we're in that state?
1: Yeah, that sounds good. That's a tall task. I certainly don't have this figured out, but I think about it a lot.
0: Yeah, I think as long as we have the self-awareness around our habits and what we're actually doing, then it helps us realize like, wow, this might be an unhealthy relationship that I have with whatever it is I'm working on.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that definitely the first step is just becoming aware that there's something going on that doesn't feel right. You obviously want to become aware of that early on because then you get to nip something in the bud versus like really being in the thick of it. I think what often happens is that individuals, particularly that like their work and are really driven, they get so swept up in the inertia of what they're doing that they lose that self-awareness until it's too late. And then you feel like, whoa, I'm getting hit by a train. How did this happen?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think the hard part is In your book, P Performance, that we talked about the last time you were on the show, there's an equation, stress plus rest equals growth. But it's also like, make sure you exercise and make sure you sleep. And like, you can be doing all those things, but still be burnt out. So how do we know how to have that awareness that we're approaching burnout?
1: So it's a moving target, for sure. So I would start by saying that I think that you have to look at what you do in the context of other things that are going on in your life. So if you're an athlete and you're worried about burning out as an athlete or you're a professional and you're worried about burning out in your profession or you're a physician and you're worried about burning out as a doctor, I think that it's way too narrow-minded just to think about it as an issue between you and your work. And I think it's an issue between you, your work, and then how your work fits in the rest of your life. So not rocket science, but I think a lot of people miss this, is – There's working 50-hour weeks when certain things in your life are going smoothly, and then there's working 50-hour weeks when your house just got broken into, you're getting a new dog, and your significant other just started a new job. And that same work week will feel so much different, and your performance will be different, and your enjoyment of it will be different. So I think that the first part about being self-aware is just realizing if it feels like I'm going all in on something, that's fine. But is this the right season of my life to be going all in on it?
0: And what about the internal pressure of feeling like you should always be going all in? Because our society just really glorifies grinding and hustle. And it's like you just see everybody. It just appears that everybody else is working so hard. So how do we break away from that and realize that what we're doing is enough?
1: What's it all for? I mean, that's the question that I try to ask myself is like, what's the point of all this? What's it all for? And if I'm not happy and it's not making me happy, then what do I care if I have six books instead of five or if I speak 10 times instead of eight? I think that you get to a certain point where if you feel like you have the financial stability to not need to work more, then I think it's really important to ask yourself like, well, what am I doing this for? there's this beautiful book called the art of living by a Zen master named Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. and in it, he writes about the difference between ease and excitement. And I felt like he was speaking directly to me and so many other people that I guess are, are wired like me. I call like pushers, right? The type of people that are prone to burnout. And he describes excitement is that feeling of giddiness. So when you have an idea or when you are training really hard or maybe like you get a new job like it's exciting right you're really excited and Thich Nhat han says that in the west the culture really celebrates excitement and we tend to mistake excitement for happiness hmm. but excitement and happiness are two very different things and he suggests that happiness is much more closely aligned with the feeling of ease and ease is the ability to just drop your shoulders, feel good enough with where you are, and just be content. And that really spoke to me because when I think about my own life, the times that I think I'm quote unquote happy, but then end up feeling kind of like empty afterwards are when I get swept up into this excitement and everything feels good because I'm excited. But If I stay excited for like such a long period of time or an extended period of time, then I start asking myself, like, what is this all for? Like, I kind of have this hollow feeling. So I've made an effort in my own life and in individuals that I coach as well to really focus on that ease side of the equation. So first, just an awareness that like excitement has a very different texture than ease. And ease isn't something that comes automatically, especially if you're an excitement junkie like you have to cultivate ease, you have to learn how to experience ease. And at first, it can be pretty hard. But then once you're able to tap into that, so long as you have some rigid boundaries, so you don't kind of relapse into excitement junkie mode, then I think that you can start to strike a better balance of periods of going all in with periods of ease and contentment.
0: And what are things that you've done personally to help you move into a state of ease? Because it's hard to do that without feeling anxiety.
1: Yeah. So that's the great paradox of all of this is that for somebody that is super driven and passionate and an excitement junkie, cultivating ease is going to feel worse before it feels better. I like using the model of addiction to think about this. Most addicts, do not enjoy the feeling after a high, right? Like they come down and they feel kind of shitty and they're self-deprecating and shame, yet they love the chase, like getting the drug, injecting the drug in the way up. So it's like that excitement that draws them in. And the hardest part about breaking an addiction is that period when you're depriving your mind body of that excitement. And that's when people relapse and they go back into, you know, drug seeking and finding the drug or if it's alcohol. And that's what fuels the cycle of addiction. And I think that like workaholism that can lead to burnout can be very similar. Like the excitement feels really good. It feels great when you're doing the work, like you're on this high, but then afterwards you start to find yourself feeling kind of like gross, hollow, empty, whatever adjective you want to use. But then you try to step away and you're so used to that excitement that it's really hard to just like let it go. You publish three articles a week for five years and suddenly you're going to start publishing two articles a month. Well, that doesn't feel great at first. I'm not relevant. I'm losing Twitter followers. This isn't good for my career. I've got all these ideas that I'm not pursuing. And that can create a lot of angst at first. And yet, like if you fight through that angst and you have some practices to cultivate ease, I think, I'm not there yet, so that's why I say I think, but I've seen glimpses of it, I think that you can kind of get to this other side. And then once you experience ease more frequently, I think that you become a little bit wiser and you have a little bit more control over, yep, I'm going all in now. And like, ooh, like I really want to, but I know it's better for me to kind of sink into this ease. And then you have some skills to do that.
0: Yeah, for me, like going to yoga has helped develop a sense of ease. But That's pretty much it. And I think that the reason why we get on this this treadmill of excitement and this addiction to the excitement is because it's tied to our self-worth. And we feel like, oh, if I'm publishing three articles a week, then I am enough. Then I'm good. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm impressive. So if you're not doing that all of a sudden and you're doing less, well, then you feel like, well, now I'm not impressive anymore.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that that's a huge part of it. And it's this Western it's the, not to get like too esoteric, but I'm so happy we're talking about this. I have an article that is going to be released pretty soon on this like very topic. Awesome. So like happiness in the West is all about the next thing. Like that's what like a capitalist consumer economy runs on. Like you're not good enough. Get this promotion, get more money. If you buy this watch It's mind boggling, but if you just sit back and watch commercials, commercials for cars, watch clothing, it's just like very attractive men and women, which is telling you like, oh, it's only when you can get this car that then you'll be able to like date a woman that looks like that. The whole society is set up to not feel like you're good enough, yet true happiness is feeling good enough. So I think like there's this enormous need for individual, like it's, it's hard, like you have to swim against the current a little bit. What you said about self-worth totally true. Like they don't teach self-compassion in high school and college, but like they probably should. Because most people like are enough and it's just like this rat race that makes you think like you're not. And then once your external validation, like once your self-worth gets sucked up in that, you're just going to keep pushing.
0: Yeah. And I just want to take a second and tell the listeners, if you're interested in self-compassion, I recorded an episode with Dr. Kristen Neff, who is one of the pioneers in self-compassion research. And I probably myself need to go back and re-listen to that episode.
1: So my wife and I are going through her workbook right now. Um, So yes, listen to that episode. Um, I'm sure it's great.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about, I read something. It was, I don't know if it was in Peak Performance or an article you wrote, but... It was about harmonious versus obsessive passion, and it's about figuring out why we do our work. And then it takes a lot of honesty to actually determine those two, like the difference between the two. So can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, totally. So this distinction was made by a researcher. His name's Robert Valorand, and he looked at passionate people. And what he found is that there are two pretty distinct types of passion. One is called obsessive passion, An obsessive passion is when you become really driven and fueled by the external validation that you get from doing your activity. So that is the person that no longer loves swimming, but loves getting sponsorship deals and loves winning medals and loves making her coach and friends proud. That is obsessive passion. Harmonious passion is the person that is passionate about and loves the thing that they're doing. So that's the swimmer that loves swimming because she just loves being in the water. She loves pushing herself. She loves getting better. She doesn't really care what other people think. Now, it's not either or. I think that all of us probably have parts of harmonious passion and parts of obsessive passion in whatever we do. I think that what often starts as harmonious passion can very subtly turn into obsessive passion. Like you start doing something because you love it, but then you start getting all this external validation for it, and then you start loving that, and you kind of forget that you actually love the thing to begin with. What the research shows is that individuals whose passion tilts more towards the obsessive side, they tend to suffer from burnout, along with anxiety and depression, at a much higher rate than individuals whose passion tilts more towards the harmonious side.
0: Yeah, I think it's really hard once you start getting that external validation, like I'll give a a vulnerable example about myself. It's like when I first got on Instagram, it was so awesome because it's like I'm posting these rad photos of mountain biking and my account was growing super fast. And in the last two years, it's like, I don't know if my content's just not good enough anymore or it's the algorithm or whatever the heck people are talking about with Instagram. But it's like there's no more growth anymore. It's stuck at the same number as it's been. And it's really hard now because I feel now I'm not externally validated anymore. And I feel like I'm not good enough. But really, I had to stop and say, okay, like, this is frustrating. Yes, but this isn't why I do this. I don't do this for the likes. I'm not posting a photo because I'm trying to, like, manipulate my audience to like it. But it's super hard because all of the social, especially social media, it's all based on external validation because, like, that's why it has the number of likes on per photo. That's why it shows the number of followers. And I almost kind of wish that that could just go away. like Because then people might start actually posting things not mining for likes and not mining for that follow because not everybody else can see that anymore.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that there can be this perceived need to feel relevant and that whether it's in social media or whether it's at a big corporation where you're working. And again, like most people want to feel relevant. And that's totally fine. But I think that when it gets excessive and like you don't feel relevant, if you're not getting promoted every year, or if you're not gaining new followers all the time, that's when I think that you can start to feel pretty hollow and empty. Something that I think is just hugely helpful, right? Because we could sit here and talk about the problem a lot. And there's a fair amount of writing both myself and others like on the problem. I think that there are some pretty practical solutions, though. So one is to try to transition that self of worth and relevance away from the digital world into the real world. So something that I've done with a a group of close friends here in Oakland that are all excitement junkies (laughs) is we've held ourselves to getting together at least once a month for an extended period of time to just hang out. And Sounds crazy. Like once a month, group of friends. <laughs> but when we first started doing it, like scheduling was a mess. Well, why is scheduling a mess? Because you're busy. Well, what are you busy with? Work? Well, why are you working? And we, we realized that we were kind of caught up in this cycle of like trying to feel relevant and getting our community out there and spending all this time doing that. When in fact, like the way to feel relevant is like to have your community like here, you know, right across from you. And it can be small and intimate and like that can be enough. So just the huge thing for me has been really pushing myself and then others as well to just say like, no, like the most important thing isn't to like put in that extra work or write that extra story or spend extra time at the clinic. I'm really close friends with a physician around here. The most important thing is like for us to get together once a week and just shoot the like shoot the shit over coffee. That's the priority of the week. And at first it was really angstful and hard because scheduled full tilt. Like you gotta cancel meetings. He's gotta reduce his clinic hours. And it's not even external validation. Like for me, it's like my I love thinking and like being it's that excitement versus you ease. You love like, working. Yeah, I wake up in the morning and my mind's going a million miles an hour and the last thing I wanna do is like drive to meet Justin for coffee. <laughs> yeah. But then I force myself to do it and afterwards I feel great. I'm like, that was awesome. Like, why don't we do this more often? And maybe it didn't happen right away. But after like our first few times, like I really felt fulfilled in a way that like excitement couldn't make me fulfilled. Doing more work couldn't make me fulfilled. So that's when I realized that for me, and I think for lots of other people as well, the fixes need not be super esoteric. Like, Just make a hard, fast rule that like, I'm going to prioritize time in person with my close friends, and that's going to become the most important thing. And I'm going to expect that when the time rolls around to do it, I'm going to want to cancel, which is so easy because now you just send a text and you say something came up, can't do it. Right? Like, how many times have you made plans and then canceled? Because like, you've got this idea that you want to work on and you have to really make a hard line that says, nope, I'm not going to do that. It might suck. And I might be super disappointed that I met up with this person but I'm going to like take a leap of faith that what I actually need right now is like some human connection. That's not pointed toward anything. That's just like being with someone and having a good time. And I think that like, eventually, like there's this switch kind of like when you get into exercise that flips and you're like, Oh yeah, like I can live like that. I can experience that feeling. I want to do that more often.
0: Yeah. I think that that's really good advice. And it's, it's also pinpointing what it is that makes you feel happy.
1: Yeah. So it might not be like, commun- I, I do think actually in-person community is probably a thing for just about, if not everyone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there are other things I'm sure that that would fall into that bucket. You know, I think a, an issue is so many things that were once those types of joys have now become a part of people's wanting to feel relevant. Like you don't just go to the gym, you go to the gym and you make a Twitter post about it. You don't just go to yoga, you go to yoga and you make an Instagram post about it. And that's very different than just like going to the gym because you want to.
0: Yeah. When I go to yoga, I actually picked a studio I could walk to and I have a rule where I have to leave my phone at home. So like the walk there, I'm not on my phone. I can't like post about it. So it's a new rule I've made just like in the last couple of months. And it's it's actually like, it's good, but it's also hard when I'm walking there. Cause it's like, well, I should be like doing something.
1: Yeah. But I think that you like, so you're becoming aware of it. And it's like that urge and feeling that urge and realizing like, huh, like that's a thing. But what you said is, I feel like I should be doing something. You didn't say I should be doing something. And that's very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, once you start to realize like, oh, this is a feeling, then you can kind of ride that feeling out like any other uncomfortable feeling.
0: Yeah. And something I also did recently that the audience might really enjoy and I recommend is, Like I want to journal every day and I don't, but when I journal, I feel so good afterwards. And something that I did recently was journaling about happiness because we and myself can get focused on these external things. So it's like writing down the things that are making you unhappy or feel anxious or all these things. And then the second thing is, do you have control over those things? And then if you do have control over those things, how do you fix it? And then by doing that exercise, it made me realize, like, I go back and I read it because it's a reminder that mm. working more or, like, doing more actually doesn't make me happy. It's that excitement junkie thing. It's like slowing down and actually is the solution to every single problem that I had. But the addiction of working hard and trying to be everything all the time and that pressure – is really hard to step away from. And I think that other people have this. It's like not a singular focus. It's like people are are working and then they feel like they need to go ride their bike every day, like a certain number of hours. And then I got to be like the perfect mom or dad. Oh, and I'm supposed to be a friend too. And it's like this overwhelming thing of how do I do all these things and how do I narrow it down to what actually makes me happy?
1: Yeah, it's a real thing for sure. And like, like I said, I don't have it figured out. Something that I'm toying with is just about every night, my wife, my son and I, we have a family dinner. He's seven months, so he's not like really that privy to it, but he's starting to know what's going on. He sits in his little chair on the table with us. And that's something that is not hard for me to do. I have no inkling to work. Like I want to be there. It's awesome. During the day, I almost always work through lunch and I'll often have lunch right after I go to the gym and I'll make myself this like enormous smoothie with like protein powder and bananas and peanut butter and frozen yogurt. It's like the tastiest thing ever that's really only healthy because I was just at the gym. And I realized that I don't enjoy that smoothie.
0: Hmm.
1: Like I don't even know that I'm drinking it. And I challenged myself. Can I just drink my smoothie and not be in front of my computer? If I start thinking about something else, just focus on like the taste of my smoothie. And the answer is no. For me, trying to get through a whole smoothie right now is way too big of a challenge. I get super restless. So it's like, can I just take five sips of this before I open my computer and like really like taste the smoothie? And I can, and like, that's where I'm at. And I'd love to get up to a whole smoothie. But I guess like the point that I'm starting to realize, and we talked about this when we started off is awareness is so important, is like enjoying a smoothie, like that's the point of life. And if you're constantly letting your excitement take you away from what you're doing, then you're not really doing, you know, and I, it's in peak performance. Like I am so against multitasking, but I would have never considered that multitasking. Like I'm doing one thing I'm working, but like that's multitasking. And I guess that's like the second level of multitasking maybe, right? The first level is reading emails and recording a podcast and trying to read books in between that. Like I've never been a fan of. But I realize how much multitasking I do in my life that I never even consider multitasking. And it's generally taking something that should be innately joyful and not even realize I'm doing it because I'm either working at the same time or my thinking mind is going a million miles an hour. So I don't even realize I'm drinking a smoothie. Another place to practice with this is in the shower. Uh,
0: (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because I take my phone in the shower and like listen to podcasts. I admit that this is a bad habit. So go ahead. Well, maybe
1: not. I mean, that might be better than my, my, so I shower and I don't even, I can't even tell you that I showered. It's just like a blur because my mind, like I've got this strong habit of like, my mind will just start firing ideas in the shower. And for a while I thought that was a really good thing and it can be, it's like, awesome. Like I get like all these ideas, but then I realized that like, I don't even, did I like clean my body? Like what happened (laughs) just now? Eight minutes. So that's another area where I've really tried to challenge myself to like showers probably feel pretty nice if you just like let yourself be in the shower. But again, I think that for someone that's an excitement junkie, like these things that sound so easy are actually really challenging.
0: Yeah, I've actually destroyed my training because as soon as my legs start moving in circles on my bike, that's my equivalent of your shower and it'll go on for the entire bike ride so 2 hours, 3 hours. And what happens is I'm so afraid I'm going to forget my great idea that I try and use Siri to, like, Siri, remind me of this. And, like, it never works. So I'm pulling over on my bike, like, every five minutes to put an idea in my phone. And it's, like, that's not good for endurance training to be stopping, like, every five minutes. And then I open my phone, and then it's, like, oh, notification. And then before I know it, I've been stopped for 10 minutes standing with my phone. So I'm actually excited about the new Apple Watch. I don't have one yet, but it has its own SIM card. So I'm wondering if you can take that on your ride instead of your phone. It's so that way you have, if you have an emergency, you can still call, but then you're not going to be like as distracted by it.
1: So what would happen if you just had an idea and let it go?
0: I might forget it. I,
1: okay. And then what would happen if you forgot it?
0: Then I wouldn't be able to implement it. And then I'd be sad. Okay.
1: And then... Well, would you be sad or do you think there's a chance you might be happy because like you weren't like you were there on your bike ride?
0: Yeah, I think it's like a little bit of both. But something, yeah. that, something I've started doing to stop that is I've actually started trying to think about the quality of the air touching my skin. Like, how does the air feel? Is it warm? Does it feel thick? I'm trying to periodically take these mindful moments in my bike ride or like look at the colors of something. How, how many shades of orange can I see right now in the fall?
1: yeah, and where I was going with like questioning you about the idea is how many times do you have those ideas? And then they actually turn into something like great.
0: Yeah, I'd say not very often if I'm being hundred percent honest.
1: Yeah, but it's that excitement junkie, right? Because like I know this because I've been there. I'm wired the same way as you. Like You get that idea and suddenly it's like, oh, that's the thing. Like I can't lose this. That's the next book. That's an article. I got to tell my yeah. wife about it. I got to call my friend. And then I go jot it down. And then like you said, I've got four notifications and someone with a huge Twitter following is retweeting me. And it's like, whoa, what just happened? I was just out in nature. Now I'm not. So for me, the solution has been just don't bring the phone. And if I get an idea... For a while, I was uh, handwriting it in a notebook, which I think is fine, but I stopped doing that. Now I'm just like, you know what? Like if it's a good enough idea, it's going to come back to me. But like this isn't excitement idea time. This is time to just be in nature. Yeah. Same kind of thing with the smoothie. At first, it was like pretty angstful and uncomfortable because like you have an idea and then you let it go and then you're sad that you let it go and then you're trying to remember it. And after a little while, like that switch flipped and now it's just like awesome. Like I'm just in nature. But it's very counter to like the whole like cultural emphasis on productivity and doing, doing, doing.
0: Yeah. And I I think this is a beautiful launching point to talking about, I'm going to use the title from your book, The Rest Paradox. So it's like, how do you actually define when you're resting and how do you actually implement that? How do you actually pull yourself away to do those restful
1: activities? So I think that defining rest for me is about doing something that is a big switch from what I would define as work. So if work is being in your head, constantly thinking of ideas, writing, recording podcasts, then rest could very well be going to the gym and like crushing yourself. So long as that crushing yourself is actually crushing yourself at the gym, not being in your head while you're lifting weights. I think the flip side is also true. If you're an elite athlete, and work is crushing yourself, then rest could totally be like thinking of ideas in journaling and recording a podcast. I think that if you are this hybrid, which is most of us, at least listeners of your podcast, like pretty good athletes that consider themselves good athletes, but also have other jobs. And these other jobs might be like in the world of like excitement and ideas. Then I think You can very easily tell yourself, oh, I'm resting because now I'm riding my bike and oh, I'm resting because now I'm recording a podcast. But like, no, like you're not really resting, like you're kind of wrapped up in all of that. So then I think resting is just the ability to let go of the need to make progress in anything. And I think that's a really good definition, right? Because if you are working out, generally, you're like working out on some sort of progression, get stronger, get faster, go farther. And if you're writing or thinking, it's generally about some sort of progression. This idea is going to lead to an article or a book or a podcast or an email at work. If you can identify activities that have no progression, no need for progression, those are great activities that I would call rest. Some examples. So listening to music. See, I don't count listening to a podcast because I'm sure that you listen to a podcast and that like, oh, what a great idea. I could write about it or I could have that person on my show or.
0: Oh, yeah, it's um, close up big time.
1: (laughs) Totally. So listening to music, I think, is a good example. I think meditation is like the best example and the gold standard, if that's something that listeners have an interest in. Time in nature and kind of what you said, if you catch yourself getting up in your head, just redirecting your awareness to maybe the air on your skin, the colors, the feeling of your feet on the ground to really just try to ground yourself being in nature. I think playing with a pet is awesome. Like it's really easy to lose yourself playing with a cat or a dog. <laughs> I said, I've got a young kid at home. Playing with Theo is often a wonderful time to lose myself. So it's what's common again about all these activities is there's no progression. I'm not like playing with Theo so I can get better at playing, so then maybe I can write about it because that will help my career and make me feel relevant. Playing with Theo because, like, I'm just in it. Like, that's what I'm doing. I think that in meditation there can be this trap because meditation is inherently a progression because as you meditate more, like, you start to have different experiences. One of my good friends is a meditation teacher. He's helped me a lot, and and he's made me aware of this trap that when you're sitting to meditate to get somewhere – even if you're trying to get to like a very relaxed, observing self state that defeats the purpose. So like the point of meditation isn't to get relaxed. The point of meditation is just to sit back and watch all the stuff that comes up in your mind and all the stuff that comes up in your body. And if you just do that over and over and again, you like kind of have to have faith that like good things will happen.
0: Yeah, I actually... I was good about meditating for a short period of time. And then I just stopped doing it because I felt like, well, this isn't doing anything, but I kind of feel like meditation might be like therapy where like you're going to therapy and maybe not, maybe not everybody's done therapy, but I, you guys have heard Dr. Kaim on my show a couple times. So, you know, I work with her, but it's kind of like really small incremental gains that you can't even really see that you've made until you've been doing it for a really long time. And then you can look back and say, Oh well, yeah, that definitely helped. So I think I'm trying to motivate myself to get back into a, a regular meditation practice.
1: Yeah. So meditation has been game changing for me. It's just like a wonderful practice and it is still not always something that I look forward to doing, But it's something that, like, if I do it, I know that it will be beneficial. And it's funny. I I really do think that the people that are the least likely to meditate are the people that need it most. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's it, right? Like, meditation is basically, like, teaching you how to just be. And it can be really frustrating. But I think that, like, the more that you sit and just watch your mind throw up ideas and anxieties and then watch your body get restless and then start wondering, oh, I set my timer for 12 minutes. I wonder if my phone stopped working. It feels like I've been here forever. And just watching all that without reacting to it and like watching it, that's to me like the first step of really seeing like, wow, I have very little control over this, but this isn't me because like I'm watching it. I'm not trying. like this is just all coming up. And I think that distance is so critical to self-awareness and then being able to realize like, huh, this is excitement. Not like I'm excited I have to do this, but like, oh, like excitement's bubbling up and it gives you a little bit of space to choose. Well, do I want to engage in that or pursue it or am I better off just letting it pass?
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a great way to kind of start the recovery process from burnout. So for me, I didn't realize that I was on this path of getting burnt out and how it actually manifested itself because I'm such a high energy person and I'm an incredibly hard worker. So I just keep going and going. But what happened was this year I kept getting sick, like physically ill, and I hadn't been sick in four years. And now all of a sudden I I was sick like every other month. And the same happened with my husband, actually. Like he's been working super hard too, and we've just been sick all the time and it took me a little re- a little while to realize oh like that's actually from burnout and also like a little bit less joy in what i'm doing and like fantasizing about just quitting everything and like just saying whatever like i'm just quitting everything and i think that that was also a, a sign of burnout so i think it's important for people to realize that like if you're feeling those things if you're getting sick you're feeling not a lot of joy in what you're doing or you just want to like, give up that that's okay. Like it's just realizing what that is. That way you can get on the path to recovery from that.
1: Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. And I think the only thing that I would add is also ask yourself if you feel like compelled to work, not like, do I want to be doing this, but is it like a compulsion, right? Do I feel like, oh, like if I don't check my phone or if I don't push for this extra hour, then like i'm doing something wrong and i'm going to feel ashamed or i'm just not going to feel right. To me that's a telltale sign of being on the path to burnout because then whatever it is that you're doing starts to have the nature of an addiction. And i think that that's where you can like get into the cycle of losing self-awareness to even realize that like you're going down that rabbit hole. And then again like th- these habits that if you look in the research like that were so normal just like 60 years ago but now are not. I think like that's what reverses this. Like people used to go to church or have their neighbors over for dinner once a week. Community gatherings. How come it's such a radical act to get together with the same group of four to five people or more once a week just to talk and to hang out? I saw this data that rates of sex are going like way down And I think that that's because like people are too tired or like you have one partner in bed on their phone. Do like, but sex is really enjoyable. So like, again, though, kind of like the community or the enjoying your smoothie, like I'm sure that there are people that are like such excitement junkies and so into whatever they're doing that like having sex feels like a huge effort. But my guess is that afterwards you'll end up feeling a lot better. So no different than the friends, like force yourself, like schedule it. Like there are all these activities that are so inherently joyful and that humans have been doing for so long and recently like are getting crowded out by this illusion of joy, which is just excitement, which again, not all excitement is bad. It has its time and place. But if like life is all about the next thing or the progression, then like you're missing out on these opportunities to like really be in the now. And I think that sound like a broken record, but what's nice about things like community in nature and sex are that it's easy to get lost in the now in those settings because like they're pretty just like naturally enjoyable. Like you can get into a good flow state of not worrying about something when you're with a group of people that you like hanging out, when you're having sex or when you're in nature.
0: Yeah, guys. Have more sex, hang out with your friends and go outside. <laughs>
1: Right. And, And again, this 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 what's so batshit crazy about this is that I really think that this is advice that millions of people need. And if 50 years ago, someone would have come on the equivalent of a podcast and said, like, lots of people need to be having more sex, hanging out with their friends and just being in nature, that would have been seen as crazy because like people would just do that. And I think what happened is like the, the, it's completely like um, the pendulum has swung so far the other way. Uh, Where now, like, I really think that it's a pretty radical act for people to spend, I don't know, five to eight hours in nature, have sex a few times a week and have like two standing gatherings with people that they care about. Now, another thing that is very hopeful is that there's lots of good research and practice on like how to recover from addictions. And if listeners accept that like this workaholism, excitement junkie, whatever, is follows a pretty similar model to addiction, then the treatment is the same. And the treatment, at least there are many, but one is like this notion of cognitive behavioral therapy, which basically says like you need to expose yourself to the thing that you don't like and then feel that thing, and then eventually you realize that what feels so awful isn't actually that awful. And in this case, like the thing that you don't like is not being able to write down the idea, or drinking your whole smoothie even when you really wanna be checking your email to see what happened over the last hour, or going out into nature without any device. So like the whole goal is like to just do those things over and over again and sit with the discomfort and like really feel it in your body And if you keep on doing it, eventually that discomfort goes away and then you can start to enjoy the thing that you're doing. That's one big thing. And then the second thing is to do that in a supportive environment because it's really hard. And I think if you combine those two things, and this isn't like just, this isn't me. This is like the literature on addiction and even like addictive thought patterns, like in anxiety and depression, it's, can you learn to be comfortable with that feeling of like, oh, I'm not going to be relevant or I need to do this and just sit there, but not act on it. And then because doing that over and over again for months is hard, you need to have a supportive community that can help you.
0: Yeah. Do you think that people who are more prone out to burnout are also the people who are way more prone to anxiety and depression? And number two, like, do you think that anxiety and depression are the things that actually lead to burnout?
1: Yeah, I don't know enough. I wish I could give you like an answer. I think it's a great question. So I think that the burnout, anxiety, depression, I think that they're probably not so mutually exclusive, right? I think like anxiety and depression clearly to me is like a syndrome. Like it's very hard to tease those two things apart and they so often run together. I don't think I would put burnout into that. I think that like there's a different quality and texture of feeling burnt out than to feeling like truly clinically anxious or depressed. Mm -hmm. I think that burnout can be a precursor to those things. Mm. Yeah. Because like to me, like a big feeling of burnout is apathy. Right. What the fuck am I even doing? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And if this is just your work, then it's not so problematic. But depression is like, what the fuck? I don't want to do this anymore about everything. And the more that I learn about this stuff, the more that I think it's equal parts psychological, but it's also like biological. And like the brain just gets tired. And when the brain's tired, like any other organ, like it stops working well. And it's just like, screw this. Like, I don't want to do this. And I think that's why it's so important to try to nip these things in the bud.
0: Yeah. And the mental fatigue aspect. Um, I had Dr. Walter Stiano on the show as a podcast guest, and he's one of the researchers in mental fatigue and how it has really strong physical effects in athletes. So I've experienced that this year where I was working so hard. My brain was getting exercised so hard that when I show up on the bike, I just had nothing. So yeah, it's just taking that rest. I, I love how you define rest is like trying not like doing something where you're not, don't have an agenda to get better at anything and just practicing that.
1: Yep, exactly. And I mean, again, like it depends on how much of a pusher that you are, but something that I incorporated into my own life, and this is when I was in the midst of um, really like coming out of a hole with OCD, anxiety, depression, not burnout, clinical things part of my therapy there like made me realize that, wow, like I don't like I'm constantly wanting to progress at something. I need to learn how to just be okay being because otherwise I don't think I'm ever going to really be happy. So something that I did that was really hard for me is I started having one drink four nights a week. And why that was so hard for me is because normally like I wouldn't want to have a drink because when I have a drink, my thinking slows and it's For me, that became such a ritual. And again, I don't recommend this to everyone because it can be very slippery slope to like now I'm having five drinks to just completely turn off my brain. But for me, it became a ritual. Like I would have that drink and I'd feel like a little bit of calm and then I would be like, okay, that's it. Like I'm not going back. That's like the break in my day. And then waking up in the morning and making sure that I meditate every morning before I go to the gyms, so like before I kind of start my day. And again, very hard at first, because normally I wake up and my mind's racing with a million ideas, like I come out of bed, and I used to indulge in that for hours. And now I just don't have the time. So like maybe I'll indulge in it for a half an hour, but then it's like, okay, I need to get on the cushion and meditate. And the first 10 minutes of meditation, not pleasant. It's just like, oh, you should be writing this down, or oh, you should be thinking of this. But then you sit there day in and day out, and you watch your brain just go through the same things, and then suddenly you're like, huh, like I don't have to take all that so seriously. Like I can just let that storm blow by. And that's when you can really start to sink into a, a more relaxed state of ease. And then the other thing is just like really pressing the community, not letting myself make the excuse of scheduling's too hard or at the last minute canceling because I would really rather have 30 minutes to like, even just like if it's like read a book, like nope, that's still like the ideas pushing brain. And just holding myself to it and like, just come hell or high water. Like my priority this week is to spend time with these people in person and we're going to hold each other accountable. I think that those three things have been really probably for me and an individual I coach feedback on like the most beneficial because they're also practical. And again, the drink doesn't have to be an alcoholic beverage, but like having some ritual that you do and then like, that's it.
0: Yeah. For us, from Matt and I, like it's now tea because we want to like just have some tea it's probably like, a
1: healthier choice well i, I get
0: <laughs> like i have a really low tolerance so if i have one drink it's like Woo! <laughs> which is good but yeah we've tried to have like we, we have drinks on the weekends but a ritual both of us have at night is before we go to bed like sit down for 30 minutes with a cup of tea and just talk like no computer no nothing and just talk talk to one another like wow what a concept
1: yeah, I love it. I think that that's great. And like not to put you like out in public about your relationship, but when you first started doing it, was it a great comfortable feeling or was it hard? It actually was usually
0: pretty comfortable because he and I always have a lot to say to one another. But there are odd times where it is hard. It's like, it'd just be easier to watch Netflix. And watching Netflix is good because... Like it helps you with that non-progression thing. And that's actually been really helpful for me. But making sure that you're not using that as a substitution for social interaction with somebody too.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. Yes, I agree.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, the basic thing is that we just need to change our habits because we could all be so burned out and then just say, okay, well, for a couple of weeks, I'm just going to change my relationship to how I relate with work or how I relate with activities and my excitement junkiness, if that's even a word. But if you don't change the things that are causing those problems, then you're just gonna fall right back into it, and that's actually happened to me. Like in August, I was like downtime. I'm gonna spend two weeks. Like my family's coming to visit, and I had that icky, uncomfortable feeling of I'm not doing anything. I'm just like walking around Vancouver with my parents. Yeah. Like ah, but then I started feeling better. Yeah. But then like they're gone, yeah, you just so. Have to- that feeling. Yeah. But then they're like left. I was like, sweet. Look at all these opportunities. Ooh, shiny thing. And now it's like, I'm traveling every single week again because I've dove right back into my old habits. So I think it's like, that's the addict talking, right? It's like, Oh, I, I tried, I made amends, but now I'm back into it again. And now it's like, I have to like recover from that again. So I think it's about, you mentioned self-compassion and being gentle with yourself and realizing that it's not going to fix itself overnight.
1: Yeah, totally. That's why self-compassion is so important in realizing that there is so much habit energy behind these patterns. There's the conditioning of your own habits in your own life, there's the cultural conditioning, for lots of people there's the way that they were raised by parents to like achieve, and all of that is a way of saying like you need to keep on progressing more and more more and it's all so antithetical to just being able to feel content for periods of time. And the only way to get good at feeling content, ease, whatever you want to call it, is to like really make it a practice and to realize, like you said, you're going to get pulled back in to your excitement junkie mind. And first step is being aware. And then the second step is resisting those urges and sitting with that discomfort. And then eventually you just kind of settle in to a better relationship with yourself and what you do. And you start to develop some wisdom to say like, oh, yeah, like that is a really good idea. Like I am going to go pursue it versus, oh, every single idea I have to pursue.
0: I love that. So to wrap it up, I want to talk about your newsletter, the Peak Performance newsletter. So like what made you guys to start decide to write the newsletter? And then how do you decide what topics you're going to write about? Because it's it's a really great newsletter, and it's really in depth.
1: Oh, thank you so much. So that's the newsletter that I write with Steve Magnus, who's my co-author on Peak Performance, and just someone that I continue to collaborate with on all sorts of things. So how do we decide to write it? this is going to be so ironic. We had all these ideas (laughs) and we wanted something to do with them. This was before I became enlightened. So this was like three years ago. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean, that was really it in a nutshell. And we wanted to push our thinking and we wanted to hold ourselves accountable. And we wanted to try to connect with a community of people that are also interested in these types of things. So we just started the newsletter and it's super easy to do. MailChimp makes it really easy. And from there, we've kind of evolved it, but we've we've really kept it, I think, pretty close to its core, which is just some philosophical topic that's on my mind that week. And then Steve tends to write something a little bit more pragmatic from his experience coaching. I like it. I mean, I think that there are definitely some weeks where it feels like a chore and a to-do but most weeks, it's just a really nice chance to kind of quickly express something that's that's on my mind.
0: Yeah, it's like writing is almost our therapy that other people just get to listen to or, or watch.
1: Yeah, totally. So much of the stuff that I'm writing, and, and I've said this a million times, I don't write because I have things figured out. I write because I'm trying to figure them out. Never said it that elegantly. That came out really
0: Dang. nice.
1: <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like the things that I write about are not very rarely do I write about something because I've got it mastered. Like writing is exploration.
0: Awesome. Well, where's a good place for people to sign up for the newsletter or connect with you and also like read some of the articles and your book?
1: So there is more on my website, which is just my name, bradstahlberg.com, and then I'm trying to make Twitter a good place again. What I mean by that is like a place where you can actually connect with people with common interest and share good ideas. And I'm trying to do that in a way with some personal boundaries per this discussion. So I'm there at B. Stahlberg. And that's the thing. I think it's really important to mention as we do this, like this is the irony in all of it. Twitter's not bad. Writing a newsletter is not bad. Reading a newsletter is not bad. It's such an it depends thing right? Like Twitter can be really good. I know people that have met like the romantic partners on Twitter because they were tweeting about a same blog post and they connected. So that's all great. It can also be really bad if you know, like you're on your, you're on that phone all the time and it's replacing real connection. And suddenly like the amount of retweets or likes that you get starts to influence your mood. There's a middle ground. It's just so hard to find it. And so I sometimes I think like wow like I think I should just completely disconnect from all of this stuff cuz it sucks. And then Steve, my co-author and collaborative partner, he reminds me that we met on Twitter. We found our agent on Twitter. Everyone that endorsed our first book were connections that we made through Twitter with one exception. So it's like and these aren't just like connections in a networking sense. Like these are people that have become friends, mentors, thought partners. And I, a lot of these people have become great in-person friends. So it's like, how do you not throw the baby out with the bathwater? And I think that's such a huge question for our times right now.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it sounds like using social media platforms to foster and grow relationships instead of foster and grow your external validation by those numbers of likes. Something I've tried to start doing is, it used to be the first thing I would do when I opened my Instagram is I'd look to see how many likes I got on my recent post. And I've actually successfully changed that habit where now it's like, sometimes I forget to even look to see how many people like the post. I actually am spending the time trying to like, look at other people's stuff or like answer emails on direct message because I want to foster that connection piece, but I'm not perfect at it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think too many people are.
0: (laughs) Well, people should definitely follow your Twitter. Like, and I'm not lying. You're my favorite person to follow on Twitter because the the information that you put out there is so it hits home so well. It's so relatable. And I like want to retweet every single tweet that you do. But sometimes I'm afraid that, oh, my God, I'm going to look like a total stalker. (laughs) But it's, it's really amazing stuff.
1: Thank you. That means a lot to me, especially coming from you. Oh,
0: cool. Well, thanks so much for coming back on the show, Brad. It was really fun talking to you. And I actually feel more at ease after this conversation.
1: Yeah, you bet. It would be fun to check in again in a few months um, and just kind of see how you're doing and how your listeners are doing. Because I don't like this is not switch that you just flip. It's definitely like a practice.
0: Cool. Yeah. And we'll talk about some future projects you have coming out later, too, on the next episode with you. All sounds good. Thanks, Brad. Thanks. Well, I think it's clear that a bunch of us are excitement junkies and pushers, but it's really helpful to have this information to remind ourselves repeatedly that we do need rest. We need to take time with friends and family, with our kids, with our pets. In fact, I am getting a dog in just a few days and one of the reasons is because I want to have a little buddy and something else in my life where I can just play. And animals are just really awesome for that and so are kids. The reason that I love Brad's work so much and the book Peak Performance is because I have to remind myself daily that I don't have to do all these things at the level that I'm doing them and I don't have to continually prove myself. And it's just really hard. Like, I I don't know what it is, but I have that same drive that Brad was talking about and I am prone to burnout. Being able to define rest as something where you don't have to progress at anything, that that makes it a lot easier to say, okay, now I'm resting and now I'm not. And making time for that and not feeling guilty and knowing that that rest is gonna make you be better, it's gonna make you more efficient, more creative and just make you enjoy your life more is, is so helpful. I also picked up the book that Brad mentioned, the art of living, and I've been reading that book and I really am enjoying that as well. Another important point that I really liked in this podcast was that excitement does not always equal happiness because I tend to equate the two. So it's helping me take some time to reevaluate what those things mean to me and try to have a little bit more ease in my day instead of be all energy all the time. If you have special burnout tips or rest tips that you love, you should share them on social media. I would love to see what you're doing to relax. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I posted on Twitter, what are your favorite restful activities? And people had some pretty good examples on there. And I did see someone said playing with a pet. Some people said riding their bike. Some people said watching a movie. Some people said eating cookies. And hey, I'm down with that too. Make sure you follow Brad online. He's really awesome. Everything is in the show notes that we talked about. If you don't know what show notes are, it's a blog post. So just go to sanyaluni.com slash podcasts and all of the blog posts for each episode are up there with relevant links and also a way to subscribe to the show if you're not subscribed already. One last reminder is that those Moxie and Grit socks are only available until October 31st, the winter collection, with the Sexy Bee Sasquatch, the Chubby Unicorn Rhino, and Do Epic Shit to keep your feet warm. You can use them for cross-country skiing. You can use them for cycling, for running, or maybe you just want to have warm feet when you're out for a walk or going to work. So check those socks out at moxieandgrit.com. And thanks again for listening to the show, you guys. There are some really awesome people who have been coming on and who have been on in the past, and I'm really excited about future guests. I did a bunch of batch recording because I knew that when I had my puppy, I wouldn't be able to be recording as easily because he'll be wanting my attention. So I did a bunch of pre-recordings, and I think that some of these episodes coming out in November are super, super powerful, and I'm just excited that you're here. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week.